Heavenly Father, we pray to receive your word. We pray to understand your message. It is so hard to obey your will. There are ways that appear to be right, but at the end they lead to death. Give us strength through the scriptures to avoid the wicked path and be wise under your wisdom. Give us enough wisdom to understand that we cannot control life, but we can trust you. Bless Tracy throughout this message that he is about to deliver. Bless him and continue pouring wisdom over him. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. William Cowper wrote this beautiful hymn, which we sang this morning. Hark, my soul, it is the Lord. This, this poem, it, if you're paying a close attention, the first and the last stanza are written with our voice, and the middle stanza are written in, in the voice of Christ. And so at the beginning, this first stanza says, Hark, my soul, it is the Lord, tis the Savior, hear his word. And, and I love this. It's, it's yourself kind of saying to yourself, wake up, wake up. It is God and, and my Savior, and he's speaking to me. Wake up. And this is what he's saying to me. Poor sinner, do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus asks, do you love me? He doesn't ask, are you a good person? He doesn't ask, do you obey all the commandments? He doesn't ask, have you made a mistake? He doesn't ask, aren't you the one that denied me? He doesn't ask, aren't you the one that nailed me to the cross? Wasn't it your sin? He doesn't ask, haven't you provided for yourself today? Did you love others enough today? He doesn't ask, have you fulfilled your obligation? He doesn't ask what political party you belong to. He asks, do you love me? More than that. More than do you love me. He asks this, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than anything else in the whole world? Do you love me? When I was young, and I'm sure many of you were this way too, my mom and I, we used to say, I love you. And then we say, I love you uh, higher than the sky. And then, of course, we'd have to one-up each other, right? I love you higher than the moon. And then, the high, you know, higher, whatever, high as this can go, right? The moon was really about the highest as I could think of at that moment. Now my mom says, when I say I love you, she says, I love you more. Like it is still a competition. My reply to my mom when she says, I love you more, I say, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. In our sermon series on the real last words of Christ, we have been discovering the words of our resurrected Lord, our, our brother, our friend, and our Savior. And the first week we heard a word for the seekers. Jesus asked, whom are you seeking? And Jesus reorients in the resurrection, redirects our pursuits, and puts it back onto him. In the second week we heard a word for the fearful, which Jesus, the one we ought to be afraid with, the only one, who can condemn, the only one who can judge, the only one who can destroy, says, do not be afraid. And says, removes us from fear. And the third week, we heard a word for the restless, those are restless in heart, and Jesus says, peace be with you. He, he 
At the cross, he gives the ability for reconciled and restored relationship with God. But in the resurrection, he institutes it and tells us peace. You have received this shalom, this reconciled relationship with God. This peace which surpasses all understanding. And in the fourth week, we heard a word for the trouble, those that are grieved. And, and Jesus walks, along, walks alongside Eclipus and his wife and explains all of Scripture points to him. And eventually they see him. And in the last week, we heard a word for the skeptical. And Jesus comes to where we're at and says, touch me and see me. He meets us in our doubt and engages us in our doubt and removes the veil and gives us faith. And this week, he asked, do you love me? It is a question, it's an anthem that should echo in our hearts. It's an anthem and a question that is meant to restore us, broken sinners, back into the fold of God, back into the arms of Christ. Do you love me? Let's look at the case study of who he asked this question to, Peter. Let's look at Peter's life briefly. In Matthew 4, 18 through 20, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Peter was the first disciple, or one of the first, you know, him and Andrew, called by Jesus. He was an ordinary fisherman, not well-educated, and he was by far the oldest of the disciples. And I believe he was the only one that was married. Immediately, the text says, as Jesus comes and encounters him, he says, follow me. Immediately, Peter leaves everything, except his wife. He leaves everything. He leaves the security of his job. He leaves his boats, his nets, his financial security, his way of life. Everything he knows, he leaves and follows Jesus. His wife comes with him. Although this text doesn't explicitly say it, that's an action of love. That's an action to say, yes, I love you more than all these things. I will follow you. I love you more than life itself. I love you more than the, my way of life. I love you more than the tools of my profession. I love you more than my financial security. I will follow. Skip ahead to Matthew 14, 26 through 29. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. A similar word echoing follow, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked in the water and came to Jesus. In the midst of the storm, Peter is the only disciple that actually asked, Lord, Command me to come onto this water. Command me to follow you. Command me to come to you. And then he is the only one that's willing to take a step outside that boat in the storm to go and follow and be with Jesus. Peter demonstrates his boldness. He demonstrates 
his trust. Although not perfect, right? He eventually falls in that water. He is continually above and beyond all the other disciples, expressing his love for Jesus in his actions. He is following Jesus. Matthew 16, 15 through 18. He's, Jesus said to them, but, what do you, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar-Jonah means son of Jonah, right? It's his surname. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus asked the disciples if they know who he is. They've been with him for a long time. And he asked them, do you know who I am? I mean, we've been walking around for a bit. Do you know who I am? Peter, maybe the only one to answer, but at least the first one to answer, says, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. And then in the midst of this, Jesus gives him, he says, yes, you got it. And he gives, he gives Simon a nickname. He says, you're Peter. You're the rock. On, on, on this confession, on this confession of who I am, I will build my kingdom. I will build my church. You are the rock, Peter. Jesus, I mean, Peter keenly expresses his love by his understanding of who Jesus is. Matthew 26, 31 through 34. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you deny me three times. Jesus predicts that the disciples and Peter would deny him and leave him. But Peter is the one that responds and expresses his love to Jesus. He says, I love you, Jesus. I love you more than the rest. Even though they will leave you, I will never leave you. I love you to death. Which is really expression means I love you until death do us part. This isn't an arrogant pronouncement by Peter. But is an eager and exuberant expression of love. One that, it, that Peter has continually expressed throughout his time following Jesus. That he loves him. That he treasures him. That he'll go where he goes. And he's eager to share it. In John 13, 37, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. I mean, is, is that not an expression of love? Peter saying to Jesus, I love you so much, I will die for you. Why can't I go where you're going? In John 18, 10, as Jesus, as Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss and is being arrested, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear, that servant's name, was Malchus. Peter is the only one 
that's willing to defend Jesus. I mean, we give Peter a hard time, but he is the only one that's willing to defend him, to care for the one that he loves. Peter, more than anyone, verbally and outwardly expresses his love and devotion to Jesus. Make no mistake, Peter loves Jesus. Peter is a giant of the faith, and his love seems to know no bounds, and neither does his devotion to Jesus. But as the saying says, the bigger they are, the harder they fall, which makes this story of Peter's denial even more tragic because you and I know, we've just walked through it, that Peter loves Jesus. In Matthew 26, 69 through 75. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. And she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter is present at the arrest and the trial of Jesus, but at a distance. Perhaps John is the only one other disciple there. And that three times he makes a repeated denial of his love for Jesus. I don't know what you mean. I don't know the man. Not me. In this brief instance, just moments ago, he was willing to defend Jesus, to defend the one that he loves. Peter doesn't follow Jesus, just as Jesus says. He begins to reverse follow. He begins to backtrack. He doesn't go where Jesus goes. And he even denies it with an oath. And he evokes his old language from a sailor and begins to swear. I do not know him. I do not know the man. And the rooster crows, which reminds him, not just of Jesus' words, but it reminds him of his profession of love in which he just denied. And so Peter weeps bitterly because he failed in his love. Because he failed in his promise to love Jesus. Peter is lost and devastated by his own denial and his inability to follow and his inability to love Jesus. Peter begins to understand the depth and depravity of his turning from sin and turning in sin, his betrayal, his rebellion against Jesus. Our sin, our rebellion, our denials, our going our own way, our forgetting about Jesus debilitates and incapacitates our love. It wrecks us. It wrecks 
others. Our sin wrecks us and it wrecks others. And it makes it impossible for us to love. Our ability to destroy and to harm knows no bound. You can just watch the news this week. But we, we normalize sin in our life. I'm not talking about pointing to other people's sin. I'm talking about pointing to our sin. We normalize sin in our life. We don't usually normalize in other people's life. We're pretty good at pointing it out to others. But we normalize it. And we normalize our lack of love and our lack of compassion. Sin incapacitates our love. Jesus always confronts sin. And he always confronts our sin. Sometimes gently, he confronts our sin. And sometimes abruptly. And sometimes violently, he confronts our sin. Our heart and our love is prone to wander. Our heart is prone to hurt. And it's prone to betray the things that we love and the people that we love. Never underestimate the depravity and brokenness in your heart. Our heart is cold and made of stone. And it's so easily distracted, so easily swayed. You and I, we're not like Peter. Peter was eager to express his love. I think sometimes we're not even eager to express it. And we come to the story of, of Jesus and Peter after the resurrection. After this, this buildup of this Peter expressing his love and then this, this horrendous denial. This horrendous inability to turn from his love in a moment. And we come to this after the breakfast at the beach, after the resurrection, when Jesus encounters his apostles, and here he is talking with Peter and dealing with Peter's sin. In John 21, 15, And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Three times, Jesus repeats this question. Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me, Peter? And three times, Peter responds, you know that I love you. The first time he says, do you love me more than these? And what is the these? Right? Well, well, do you love me more? It could be, do you love me more than these? Fishing tools, which he just would have had on the beach because he just was fishing. Do you love me more than your, your old life and the old way that you did things? Or was it, do you love me more than you love your fellow disciples? Do you love me more than these other things? Or what I actually think it is, Peter, do you love me more than the other disciples love me? Because this has happened the story that's going all along, that Peter is expressing love more than anyone else. And Peter's like, and Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, remember, you are the one that loved me more than anyone else. Do you love me more than they love me? He's reminding them. He's reminding Peter of his love. Essentially, Jesus is asking to Peter, how big is your love for me? Is it as high as the moon? Is it as high as the sky? Do you love me more than anyone else? 
modern commentaries tend to make a big deal of actually the, the uh, Greek words of uh, how would Jesus use it. The first two times in which Jesus asked the question, he uses the Greek word for uh, agape, which is kind of this covenantal love. Uh, Peter, do you agape me? Do you, do you love me in a covenantal way? And then all three times Peter responds to with phileo. Do you love me? Do you love me in a brotherly sort of way? But the third time, Jesus actually goes and agrees with, and uses the same word that Peter does, and says, do you brotherly love me? Do you phileo me? A lot of people make a big deal. Modern commentaries make a big deal. Older commentaries do not. And here's why I don't think we should make a big deal of that. Because John uh, is not making a mountain out of a molehill, of a non-existent molehill. John uses words, and often these words of, these different words for love throughout his gospel, and he interchanges them. And he uses them for the same meaning. In fact, in this passage, he does it for us stylistically because uh, he doesn't want to repeat words over and over again. And so he stylistically just changed, not to change the meaning, but to change just the, the pattern of the words. Because he does it just in this pattern, this, this word here, for the, you know. When Peter says, you know, Lord, he uses different words several times in that. We don't make a big deal how he uses different words for there. And then even when Jesus responds, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, all three different responses, all three times different words orders and different word structures. They all mean the same thing. The point here is not, is there a different kind of love and Peter doesn't really express the kind of love that Jesus wants. That's not what it means at all. The point is this passage is the three times repetition that matches the three times Denial that Peter made. What Jesus is trying to do is to remind Peter of the love that he once had. He's trying to restore Peter. He's mirroring that. Jesus is shepherding his sheep. Jesus is loving Peter back to loving him. And the third time, did you hear it? He said to him the third time in verse 17, Simon Son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, Lord, you know everything. You know everything. You know that I love you. Peter is not denying his love at this moment. But now he just says, Lord, you know everything. Was, Was Jesus... Physically present at the denial. No. But here Peter is saying, I know, Lord, I know that you are sovereign over all and you know all things, that you're omniscient, you're omnipresent. I know that you know that I denied you. I know it. And I know that you know that I love you. Lord, you know everything. You know my failures. You know my lack of love. You know when I couldn't stand up. You know that I failed in my love for you. And you also know that I love you. I mean, that is a real sweet relational moment. I mean, that's it. I mean, can we define all relationships in that way? You know how I failed to love you. And yet you know I also love you. I mean, that defines every relationship. 
Because every relationship fails in expressing love properly. That doesn't mean that love's not there. It just means that you and I fail in expressing love and acting in love. This is the reality in all our relationships. We will fail each other at times in our expression of love. My wife, she knows that I love her. But she knows that I have failed and will fail again to express it. You know as a congregation that I love you. But I promise you, I will fail. Not because I want to, but I will fail in loving you. And I have failed before. That's real. That's, that, that's a real relationship. That's when relationships become intimate in acknowledging our failures and living out in love despite them, being reconciled. This is the powerful expression of love that Jesus is demonstrating for Peter. I just want you to look how Jesus loves Peter. He goes to him. Jesus goes to Peter. He points, Jesus points out the worst moment of Peter's life. I mean, there's nothing that gets worse than that moment of denying Jesus. He doesn't whitewash it. He doesn't hide it from Peter. He doesn't let Peter forget it. But he deals with it right there on the beach. And then he restores Peter. He resurrects Peter's outward and exuberant and inward love for him. In John 21, 18 through 19, Jesus says, If truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The very first words he said to Peter, follow me. Peter remembered all those expressions of love. He, Jesus, Peter, remember all those expressions of love that you had for me. Remember about your willingness to say that you're willing to die for me, that you're willing to live for me. Remember what you were all going to do for me? Remember that you were going to die for me and go to your cross for me? Remember you were going to follow me to that cross? And then Jesus says to Peter, listen, you will stretch out your arms. That's, this is a euphemism to say, you will die on a cross. It won't be the same cross. It won't be the same purpose. But you will die for me. Your love will be expressed to me on a cross. And you will die for me. Just as you want it to do. Just as you're capable of doing. What you failed to do before, Peter, you will do. You will follow me. You will love me. And you will show the whole world. What you failed to do, do now. Follow my way. Follow my love. Jesus gives a word to the fallen. He gives a word to the fallen Peter and restores him to love. Jesus gives a word to us, a fallen and broken people. You fail day in and day out to love 
me. This is the gospel, Jesus says. Follow me. Follow me is a command in which Jesus knows that we will fail at. Our sin separates us from God. And while our sin separates us from God, while our lack of love removes us from God, Jesus' love restores us. It creates something new in us. It brings back our love for him. Jesus at the cross and the resurrection restores of us what we couldn't and what we can't do by ourselves. Following him. Loving Jesus. Our love isn't perfect. It is far from it. But Jesus' love is perfect. Our love and failure to love separates us. Jesus' love restores us. That is the message to Peter. And that is the message to us. Jesus knows your failure. And he knows you love him. Romans 8 says it this way. Nothing separates you from the love of God. Not even your failures. Not even your lack of loving him. 1 John 4.12 says it this way. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is not saying if you love God, if you love one another, you, God will abide with you. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying, it's saying God abides in you. And if God abides in you, then the outcome is that you actually love one another because God's love changes you to your love, restores it. Renews it, resurrects your love, and gives you a, a new and a beginning capacity day in and day out to love your neighbor. To love God. 1 John 4, 17 through 18. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. The reason that God is doing this, perfecting us in his love, by his love, is so that we can have confidence right now that we belong to him. Even in our failures. Even in our inability to express our love properly. Jesus is restoring Peter's confidence, not by Peter's ability to love, but by Jesus' ability to love Peter. That is the gospel. And that is our confidence. And that is our hope. Jesus asks, do you love me? What he's really telling Peter, what he's really telling you and I is that this, know that you are loved. I have loved you. I have worked for you in my life and in my death at the cross. I am loving and working for you in the resurrection through the inward working of the Holy Spirit that I reside in you, which we celebrate today in this gift of Pentecost. This is the word for you and I, the fallen. Jesus loves us and he invites us new each day 
to follow him despite our sin and despite our lack of love. Jesus asks, do you love me? Our response should be this, Lord, you know all things. You know my failure. You know that I love you. Help me with my love. Help me with my love today. For it wavers and it fails. The last stanza in that William Cowper's hymn that we sang today says this, Lord, it is my chief complaint that my love is weak and faint. This is my chief complaint about myself. I am unable to love the way I want to love. I am weak and faint in my ability to express my love to, each, to, to others and to you. But yet, I love you, Lord. I adore you. Know this. Oh, for your grace. God, give me grace today to love you more. Jesus, thank you for your love and your grace that works to move in us to love you more today. Brothers and sisters, the fallen, the broken, know that you are loved by the one who is love. And go love. Amen.